In Leviticus chapter 23, we find God's instruction that brought all of us here. It was to obey Him, to heed His word. In Leviticus 23, we read that it says on the first day in verse 35, on the first day there should be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And this today. And of course, in verse 34, it tells us, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. It's interesting as you skip down that we then read that God tells us we're to keep the feast for seven days in verse 39. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And so we have, without really explanation, God throws in an eighth day. And so all at once we realize that we celebrate, we come here to worship, and we do it for eight days. And of course, as we have gone forward and worshiping and obeying God, He's given us an understanding. And that understanding, of course, is what He is doing what his plan is. I would also point out to you, and I don't want to dwell on this too long, but it was actually something I'd like to use to lead into where I want to go, that during this period for seven days, we dwell in temporary dwellings. Mr. Weston commented on this last night. And the purpose of that is to remind us that we are temporary. And the dwelling place that we read of in the Old Testament was a booth. It was something they made, whether they lived in Jerusalem. You can, it's interesting, you read in Nehemiah, that when they learned of God's feast days, they built a booth. Whether it was on their rooftop or in their court, or if they didn't have room in their dwelling, there were certain places within the city of Jerusalem that they went to build a booth. A temporary dwelling. Even those whose dwelling was right there. In the New Testament, we understand, brethren, and I'd like to point out to you, which is very important for us to see and understand, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do you not know that your body is the temple? or the tabernacle, or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the blessing of life. We have the blessing of a temporary dwelling, a temporary life, a certain number of days. When God has called us, that dwelling is our temple, our life is a dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. And so when you think of a booth or your room or the dwelling place, understand the lesson. Understand it's not so much, brethren, just the physical thing. The physical is to remind us. The physical is to teach us. Leaving our homes and, and you know coming here and assembling together. And for some, this may be your home. I don't know if we have brethren who live in this area, but if you do, you need to realize that the lesson's the same for all of us. 
This is also brought out in a different manner, but one that shows us a very important aspect of what God is doing. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that's how it's described, as a tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So there's another aspect to the life and blessing God has given. That is that God is preparing us for life. Life eternal. Life within his family. And the Feast of Tabernacles and the eighth day have a great deal to do with that preparation. It goes on to say, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. That's what we seek. We seek God's kingdom. We seek life eternal. And, brethren, we have that goal not because of our imagination or hope or dream that comes from our thoughts. We have it as we read on. It says, If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. We don't seek death. We seek life. But further clothed. Because the life that we have, the life and the blessing of this tent will lead to this reality, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Those are some of my favorite words in all of God's Word. That this physical flesh, the temporary life and all of its weaknesses and the vanity God subjected us to in His creation, that it would be fulfilled. And that our mortality would be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. It's God's plan. These are his days. He says in Leviticus 23, my feast. Because God's carrying out what he desires and what he seeks, brethren. And he gives us the opportunity to be a part of it. A very important part. He has, he who also, that is God, who also has given us the Spirit. So the very Spirit that dwells within us is a guarantee to us. It's the evidence. It's the knowledge that God is working in your life. He's preparing you to become a part of His spiritual realm. My goal today, brethren, is that in looking at a somewhat bigger picture of what God is doing, It will help you to drink fully of all that we hear and all that takes place during this feast for you as a person, whether from the pulpit, your fellowship, activities you're a part of, and then hopefully in your own personal life. The time you take and set aside to pray and ask God to give you understanding as you read his word, as you review sermons given, that all of that will help you to grow, and I hope that in what I reveal and go through today will be a a bigger picture that will put it in somewhat of a context. You know, when you start a plan, even humanly, you envision or lay out what you seek to do. 
In more modern times, uh, we developed a blueprint. And so we had a blueprint for contractors and those who would build a home. As we've advanced and we have more modern tools, today uh, you can actually look at a picture. You can take the blueprint, develop a CAD, decide what kind of exterior you want, the decorations you may even want inside your home. You can do all of that before you make a decision, even to build. If it's a large project, I would not be surprised in this particular building that there was a model made, that they took the grounds and they put all the slopes and, you know, drainage and everything, and they made a model of it, maybe room by room, so they could look and see, is this what we want? Because it's not that difficult to do today. And so you have this bigger picture. And when you look at that bigger picture, it guides you, it inspires you. If you're a part of a big project and you're working, you realize that, you know, what we're doing and this is what it's going to be like. There's a certain kind of, I guess you say, involvement of the men and the women who are part of such a project. And so that's what I'd like to do today. I'd like to help you to understand and see a picture of what God is doing. And I hope, brethren, in doing it and understanding how it involves the entire realm of God, all of his creation, the angels, the 24 elders who sit at the throne of God, those who praise and worship him, and the entire creation, that what God is doing and what is happening today is important. I also want you to understand that involves all of mankind. Many of the things we'll read have to do with Israel. They have to do with that God blessed a man, a father of the faithful, Abraham. A man who, when God blessed him and gave him promises, he was not circumcised. And you can read in the book of Romans that God knew what he was doing. And we'll look a little bit at that. Not so much Abraham, but the reality that God had a plan. And so it involves all people, every single living human being, those who've lived and those who will live as we go forward. They will all have an opportunity to be a part. And the vast majority, and I think part of that is in part because of those that God's going to use to help as his team, that is his saints, will make that happen. Because we struggle, and we're flesh and blood, and sometimes it's very difficult to think that in our human weaknesses and our human faults, in times as we grow older and our eyes grow dimmer and our knees hurt, or perhaps you have, you know, a health issue that you struggle with, or you've gotten old enough that it's very difficult to be here. This may be your last feast, not because you don't want to be here, but like some who today listen to me, They listen from home. And all of those things, in a way, they have a sense of saying, is this real? Is that what God has? But the reality is is that all of those experiences are part of our preparation. Life itself, as God designed it, is a part of what he has prepared. It will fulfill our life and prepare us. It is important for us to see that. I'd like to point out to you that the holy days 
We observe them. We tend to think that the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, and Pentecost are sort of a part of the past. And we observe them. And we participate when we keep the Passover as part of a covenant. When we strive to keep through Jesus Christ the Days of Unleavened Bread, or we keep the Day of Pentecost, we have received God's Spirit. But I want you to think in another aspect, and that is, they have not yet been fully fulfilled in your life. Because God has not passed over you that final time through the blood of our Lord and Savior to give you life. We still struggle with human weakness and sin. We have God's Spirit not fully Our mortality has not yet been swallowed by life, but God's given us an earnest. And so when's that going to happen? Well, the day that we celebrated prior to this feast, the Day of Trumpets. It's going to happen at the first resurrection. And suddenly the Passover and all of its meaning will be fulfilled in our lives. The Days of Unleavened Bread will be fulfilled in our lives. And the earnest of God's Spirit will be filled in our lives. And then we come to the time when literally the Bible speaks of in Daniel chapter 7, that Jesus Christ will be king. And I chose to go here because Mr. Weston referred to it but did not use it. There's many passages that bring this out that Jesus Christ will return. And in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 26, we suddenly see in the Scripture, in this particular account that's given to Daniel, that the saints of God will be given the kingdom. There's Jesus Christ who reigns as king, as king of kings, is going to give to his saints the reward and the opportunity to serve. Notice verse 26 of Daniel 7. It says, The court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion. That's the dominion of the final king of man. The Bible speaks of him as a beast, and with him a false prophet. But there have been others who preceded him, others who had dreams and tried to rule the world. And they've all come to knock. And in the book of Daniel, we have an amazing witness to us of the history of that. I've never seen someone who has actually tried to attack the prophecies of the book of Daniel because they go all the way back, we know that, and they come all the way forward to this time. In fact, we live in a time of incredible witnesses of the truth, both not only the things we read and see and have available available to us, But the world we live in, we know that ahead of us, and we see it taking shape, is a kingdom, the final kingdom of men. We also live in a time of great blessings, especially in America, in the Western world. You know, the first time I heard the word white privilege, I was sort of like, wait, I I didn't grow up with much privilege. My dad was a serviceman in the Navy. We were poor. I lived in an 8-by-33-foot trailer till I was about 12, 13 years old. 
There were five of us, my mom and dad and three children. I slept on the couch in the front. And so to me, and I know to others, it's sort of, but then it dawned on me. No, I do. I live in a time when God has fulfilled the blessing that he promised Abraham. That the sons of Joseph, that there would be a great nation, and then there would be a nation which was a company of nations. And I realize that to live in this time and to know and be a part of that is a privilege. And I hope, brethren, if you hear those terms, it reminds you to think about what God is doing, not what's going on in the world about us. But, you know, even the world can see that we live in a privileged nation, and we have been privileged. We have incredible blessings, but it's the hand of God, and it's the obedience of his servant, the father of the faithful. We read here in Daniel 7, then, excuse me, yeah, Daniel 7, verse 27, that king is going to be removed. It says, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. And that's what lies ahead. We read in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. That we will serve as kings and priests. Let's notice this, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. I'll I'll read, actually I'll start above that in, in verse 9. It says, they, that is... The saints of God, because the 24 elders have the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so it's referring to the saints. And it says, they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. You know, it's interesting how God has divided it so much in this statement. You read earlier in the Scripture that God established there were 70 families or nations of people, and that's the Jewish tradition. But here it seems even more divided than that. It goes to tribe and tongue. And so God's reaching out to many people. And many of us don't know. I, I, I know a little bit about my heritage. I was actually surprised. I have a family member that decided to do that, you know, where you check and find out. And uh, I had heard at one time when I was young that on my mother's side that there was someone who had married a native Indian. And so the results came back. Yes, I am. If you look up Greer, is Scottish and Irish, and, and my grandmother, her last name was Lamberson, so I'm Lambert. And so, yes, that's English. But one thing that came back was surprising was that in the blood of my relative, who was very close to me, family, there was native Indian. But 
not Cherokee or of the tribes that we think of. It was of the Eskimo tribe. So I assume at some point a family member perhaps went up to Alaska and and married into and had children, and those children became a part of my heritage. And so it doesn't make a difference in that sense where we are today because we're the children of God. And I think it's important to us for us to understand that. But it's also important to realize that in this case, it speaks of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. I hope, brethren, that you stop and think about what God says, the kind of king that he wants. He doesn't want a king that will lord it over those in his kingdom. He said the greatest is those who serve. And so our kingship and our service is to serve God's people as he calls and gives them an opportunity. And brethren, it's to serve God. And so it says king and priest. It doesn't actually say or, does it? It says king and priest. Because we'll be God's servants and we'll be servants to those whom we try to serve to bring them to salvation. And I think it's important for us to understand that. I was very interested uh, last night. Mr. Stein asked us, how long have we been in the church? And he started with those of you, this is your first feast. Well, not the church, but at the feast. And and then he went to 1 to 5, 5 to 10. And I, I was sitting somewhat up front, so I didn't see everyone. But I noticed that we had some children who raised their hand. They were very aware that they have been here for five years, six, and they were trying to figure, I assume they were figuring out, how old am I? Because <laughs> they've been coming here. And I assume that some of you that are perhaps, you know, 10 to 15 or 15 to 20, and you grew up in the Church of God, you were also doing the math. Now, you may have done a little quicker than a four or five-year-old did. I hope that you did. But... You're here. And I'd like to just say a few things to you about being here. The Bible makes it very plain, whether it's of your time or a time yet lies ahead, there's going to come a time when children go from this age into the coming age. And I hope all of us, if you're a young person, you realize that as a youth is a time of preparation. And I know it, we live in an age where it's somewhat difficult at times. And so whether you're homeschooled or whether you're going to a public school, there's still a lot of pressure. But there are certain things that are very important to you spiritually as you grow older. One of them is that you can read and read well. That you can read with understanding and discernment. That you can read and have a practice of meditating and saying, what, what have I read and what does it say? And that you notice all the words. Those are skills developed when you're young. And they're developed whether you're being taught at home or you're being taught in a public environment. It's also very important that you learn to communicate or to write and communicate. Because both go together. 
Because how you communicate becomes a very important skill, not only in, in your life, but also within the community that you're a part of and within the church of God. I include in that because they really were, and we understood it at one time, sort of the three R's. To read, write, and to do arithmetic. And you think, why is math important? One of the things God says to us, and I think you need to understand as a young person, is that if we see his creation, we re- he reveals himself to us. And one thing that I've seen as I've grown older and as an adult, those who examine those things, whether they're very smallest detail, or those who look out into the universe, math becomes an important part of understanding. Sometimes we actually have seen and know that there are particles that exist at a subatomic level. We cannot picture them, but we can actually, by math, calculate, and then through the advancement of equipment and, and the technology, we've come to see we projected and, and theorized correctly. So math is a part of what God has used and what he is. With God, two and two is always four. And the Bible's plain about that. With the logic that's within it. So don't discount it. Understand the value of it. Understand how it will also help you. Especially if, as a young person, you take an interest in what God has created. In the plants and the animals and the insects. Right around your own house. You know, go out and try to find out about them and how they live and how they, you know, maybe build an ant colony, what it's like. Or maybe the mosquito that you don't want in your yard. You know, how does he reproduce and what, what's going on with it and, and how do they feed? In other words, God created these things. All this life and all the things that are part of our life. So I'll just encourage you as a young person, understand the value of to read and to write and to communicate and the math. And understand that it's as a young person that you develop the habit of seeking knowledge and understanding. And if you're a young teenager, you personally should read the book of Proverbs. Because it was written for you. God wrote it for the youth. Now we can all learn from it. I hope that all of us are young at heart. I was going to make a comment about appreciating the service of our young festival coordinator, Mr. Gary Stein. Now, you might not think he's young, but I say young because he's actually tad older than I am, (laughs) and I still want to be young at heart. (laughs) Age does come upon us, but I don't think that should touch our heart and touch what we seek. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, oh, let let me make one more comment before I move forward. I also want to point out to everyone that in our church, we have developed a program. And the program is to help all of you and our ministry, all of us, the entire church of God, to have the resources to better understand God's Word. And that's the programs of living education. And we do have several thousand people 
but I hope all of you that have access, and even those that do not, perhaps through your pastor, that you would participate. Because we have a wonderful blessing to help us prepare and grow in understanding, preparing us to serve and to serve within God's soon-coming kingdom as kings and priests, as helpers to those whom God calls. Now, I'd like to move forward then in Isaiah chapter 11 and point out a few things that have to do with what it says of every tribe and tongue and nation. In Isaiah chapter 11, it speaks here in verse 10, it says, And in that day, now in the context of Isaiah 11, we're talking about the wolf lying down with the lamb. We're talking about a child of being able to put his hand in a viper's den. We're talking about a time that God says in verse 9, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. An incredible period. In that time, in verse 10, it says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, are a number of passages, and I'll read a couple, that prophesy of the future, because that's what this is speaking of, of the Gentiles. That, as we read in Zechariah 14, the nations will come up. And yes, we read that for a few years there will be a few that are stubborn. But I don't read about ten years, do you? And we're talking about 1,000 years. So, let's do the math. Let's say for two years, no one comes. And the third year, they kind of come with a grudge and, they, you know, well, we don't want any more suffering. And so let's, let's be real merciful and say for 97 years we have hold, or excuse me, set, three years we have set holdouts. I need to do the math. <laughs> what do we have left? 997 years of all nations coming to worship the Lord, the King of hosts, on the Feast of Tabernacles. We, we look at one, we need to look at the balance. We need to look at that other side of that, that bigger picture. You know, this was a, an issue confronted, that confronted the ministry of God during the days of the Apostle. We find that they suddenly were confronted with reality, thinking this is probably off in the future. This is what's going to happen when Jesus returns as King of King and Lord of Lords. But then all at once, to their shock, not that they resisted it. That's not correct. They embraced it. God gave his Holy Spirit to Gentiles who were not circumcised. And they suddenly had to stop and rethink what has God done. And in the New Testament, you find many things explained. But I'd like to point out to you in Acts 15 how they approached this and what they thought. In Acts chapter 15... And I'll just summarize part. They quoted from the Old Testament in verse 16 and 17. You can turn to the passages. You'll see it in the margin. It says it's from Amos 9. And if you look, you realize that they quoted it with an understanding 
of what the nations that are mentioned in Amos represented. They didn't just represent those individual nations. They represented the rest of mankind that is outside of the family of the children of Israel. So you can read it. But they came to a conclusion. Verse 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Now, what they experienced was something they did not see, but when they saw it, they knew it was the hand of God. We're here to observe things that God has given us to see. Things that through obedience and celebrating His days that we've come to understand. We understand, and I'll just... Move to Isaiah 19, verse 22. Under the reign of Jesus Christ, God speaks of nations that will be very special to him. And that really includes all nations, but particularly in this case, nations that have not been the friends of the children of Abraham or of God. In one case, particularly, they've been at times tools of God to punish his children. And so we read in Isaiah chapter 19, and I'll just read a portion of it, starting at verse 22. It says, And the Lord will strike Egypt, and he will strike and heal it. They will return to the Lord, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. I think we're reading a little bit about what we find in Zechariah 14. And they perhaps will not be alone. They're going to be without water without rain. And that's kind of a fascinating statement because nations and lands have boundaries. You know, if I look in this room, we have those on this side and that side. There's a boundary between you here. Not very far. But you realize that if the nation of Egypt, there's a boundary. It might be a river. It could be a hill. It could be a, depending on the area, the terrain. God says on this side there'll be crops and rain and blessings, and on this side there'll be drought and no rain. And I lived in the state of Washington many years ago. Mount St. Helens erupted. The first eruption did not really affect, I lived in Olympia, Washington, did not affect us too much. There was a second eruption, not as large, but the second eruption was on the day of Pentecost. We did not have services. They closed the freeway. And south of us, down around Centralia Chehalis, the ash did not really reach us from that eruption north, but there was a fine ash, and of course all of that is damaging to our modern motors. But I heard, and then I saw, I heard that south of Olympia, along the freeway, you could drive, and on one side it was green. And the other side was ash. Not just a little, three to four inches of ash. And so I travel down, and all, once I see cars stopping and people slowing down, and, and I stopped when I saw it. Because it was a true report. And the distance was really not much more than just right here, between 
those of you who sit on this side and those on that side, one side was green. And so I read about it and I found out that through the controlling of the wind currents, you can literally form, in a sense, a line, a line you do not see. And that's what happened. There's a wind current moving this way and one coming from a different, and it formed a sheer line. And so what is God going to do? He's done it already at various times. (laughs) He'll draw a line. And no one will cross that line. But what's the end of this? Well, God says he will strike them. And then he will be entreated. Entreated by them and heal them. Verse 23 In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians will be served or will serve with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the land. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. And Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. God's going to bless all people. But it singles those out particularly for us to understand. And I think that's important for each of us to understand. If God's called you and you're perhaps a minority of your race, what an incredible blessing that you will have to serve your people. To serve them not only during the thousand-year reign of our Lord and Savior to help bring them to salvation, but then those who preceded us during the great white throne judgment. I don't know, but a few of my ancestors. But I know that because I have life, that I have a father and a grandfather and a great-grandfather and a great-great-grandfather I also know I have a great, 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 great grandfather. And so do you. And mother with uncles and aunts and, in other words, all of us represent a family. And in the great white throne judgment, you can have the opportunity to help serve that family. But now you'll be joined with others who are part of your family. Because all at once, God's going to resurrect and bring to life all who live for 6,000 years. And we have a chance to be a part of that, to be a beginning part of it. Is this important in the spiritual realm? I'd like to read something to you in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, because I wanted to paint a bigger picture. The picture I've painted so far, I think you kind of know and think about. And it's what we're here to keep and celebrate. But in Romans 8, it says, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice that. God's creation eagerly waits. And it says, for the sons of God. The revealing, not the first, 
Not the one just only for a thousand, but the entire family. The revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also would be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And the Bible speaks of that. We have enough time here. I'll, I'll read a passage that talks about those who are destroying our planet. God's not pleased with it. And I think we should be aware of that. We should not be a part of that. You know, you live in a property, don't pollute it. You know, don't take care of it. Keep what God has given you. You know, God's given you life. Take care of it. Take care. If you're a young person, take care of your health. Take care and make sure that, you know, as, as the Apostle Paul said, not understanding fully that we prepare ourselves, even physically, for God's kingdom, body, mind, and spirit. Understand that what's happening around us is a corruption. We should not be a part of it. I think it's also very important to understand, if I'm saying that, to realize that some of the solutions of our society, they really are about money. We talk about certain things because people can make a great deal of money from them. But brethren, we do much to continue to pollute our earth by chemicals, our water, you know, the water you drink. It has plastic in it. I realize this is very minute, but they have tested around the world. There's molecules of plastic in water everywhere. And so our solution don't have a drinking straw. But so you drink carefully from your plastic bottle. You know, think about it. So please, when I say this, please put it in balance. Just in balance in your own life, be aware that God created. He gave us a wonderful blessing of life to take care of it and not be a part of what's just going on in our world and don't get swept up in it. God wants us to separate ourselves from it, but still be mindful of what's taking place. It goes on to say, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. That's something we strive for. I find it amazing there are people who criticize God's servants of past, like Mr. Armstrong, because he, he sought and desired that Jesus Christ would return in his life. Mr. Meredith had that same desire. And I hope, brethren, every one of you, when you pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, that you have within your being that same desire. Don't find fault with someone who seeks God's kingdom ever. And you read someone who finds fault with Mr. Armstrong, who prayed those things and hoped for and dreamed those things in his life, understand he was God's servant. Mr. Meredith, who had that same dream and hope, you know, he hoped, and I know that he did, that he would live to see the fulfillment of the return of our Lord and Savior. And he will, and so will those who serve God. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You realize the Bible says they will rise first. 
and we'll follow. <laughs> so put that in perspective, and put in perspective not only of, in a sense, those who criticize, but also of heart, of your own heart, that we seek. Let's notice, going back to Revelation chapter 5, because I want you to see that God's creation, all of it, is involved and has a desire and hope for what's taking place. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11, we read of being kings. And then it says in the same chapter, it's talking about Christ being accepted before the very throne of God and the opening of seals. In other words, the fulfillment of what we find in the rest of this book. And it's fulfilled through the sacrifice and the forgiveness that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and our High Priest. And so they're accepting it. And they're accepting it, as we notice in verse 11, it says, Then I look, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. Because see, in this book, as those seals are opened, is the seventh trumpet. And they accept that. And they're excited about it. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, we're talking about everywhere. As such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Let's also notice in Revelation chapter 11 when Jesus Christ takes the kingdom. Verse 15. And a seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice, or loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great. And should destroy those who destroy the earth. What a wonderful time. Not only for the re- those resurrected, but for all of God's creation. Jesus Christ is now going to reign. He'll never give it up. Yes, Satan's released for a little period at the end of the thousand years, but Jesus Christ reigns this very plain forever and ever from that moment forward. God will use Satan as a tool to fulfill a purpose. Notice verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. 
was an event that literally in the heavens and on the earth is going to be announced and it's going to be a time of great celebration. I'd like to step one back real quick here in the book of Luke and point out to you, or did I even write it? Yes, Luke 15, that even when one person, when you as one sinner and everyone in this room have sinned. And there was a time in our life as we came to repentance and accepted. God tells us the angels rejoiced at the time of your repentance and your baptism. They're involved. What we're doing, they watch. And it's exciting to them because they know what lies in part ahead. Notice here in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. I'll just read it quickly. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They're involved. We're not here all by ourselves, just man alone. We're not on an island. We're a part of the very creation of God. And he's created all things. And it's very important to all of his creation. And brethren, what we picture today when it's all fulfilled and we have, in a sense, come to that end. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15 what God reveals to us. It's interesting to recognize how much God's service understood and how much Paul understood. But he tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, In verse 22, it says, For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. And we're here in part to celebrate an order. A thousand years and then a great white throne judgment when the books will be opened. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at His coming. Then comes the end. God is preparing through us to, in a sense, take it from a stage of the return of Christ to fulfill the calling of all mankind, which will then lead to the end. A plan that's revealed to us through God's plan of salvation. But brethren, it's really not an end, it's a new beginning. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. You know, that end is spoken of in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. And really, if you stop and think about what it says to us here, and you think about what we're doing, I hope, brethren, that that recognition will help you think about how important it is what we're doing here and how it is a focus of all of God's creation. I'm sure that every angel and everyone that rejoices at what lies ahead, they wait earnestly, desiring, you know, let's move forward. (laughs) 
Because what does it say is going to happen to? It says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. The planet we live on, the earth we know, the planet that will have, in a sense, been exhausted in some ways, God's simply going to replace it. A new heaven, a new earth. New heavens and a new earth. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Now, who dwells at New Jerusalem right now today? Well, there's 24 elders there <laughs> at the throne of God. And they're going to be moving. <laughs> and I have a feeling it's very exciting. Because there's going to be literally millions and billions of new members the spiritual realm. And Satan will not be a part in any manner of what God is doing. It will be a kingdom wherein dwells only righteousness. And we've not gone through in the same sense they have to see Satan draw a third part of the angels. And they had served together the throne of God to see them turn against their very creator They're going to rejoice. And what we're doing, if you put it in that context, in a sense, if you pull it out and we build the model and we look at all of the picture, it helps us understand how important it is what we're doing today and how important it is you drink in during this feast. How important it is that you listen to the messages and think about them and, and study God's Word. How important it is that you take advantage of all the things that God has provided for all of us. That you actually have your own copy of the Bible. Not many people have had that through history. That you have access, if you have a computer, to computer programs. And if you wonder, where is it in the Bible? You can very easily go to your computer. Bam, bam, bam. There it is. You might have to read down the list and the words that are used. If you're interested in a topic, and it happens to be on the Living Education site, and it's a site that's going to grow, and we're going to have more and more material on it. And maybe at some time in the future, thinking, I'll let you go back and you know, study. I didn't have a chance to do it when it was there before. It will be there for you. That's one of the great blessing, blessings of technology. And you can download it or copy it, or you can read it online. In other words, you have and I will have access that's almost unprecedented. And yet, do we use it? And will we use it? Will you take advantage of all that God has for you here today? I hope, and tomorrow, for the next day, I hope you will. That's why I'm giving this message. I want that picture to be a part of your thinking. Let's read on, because it's much bigger in some ways than I think I even thought when I... And I I can't explain to you all that I'm going to read. But it says something that is almost just fascinating. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
the dwelling place of God. His very throne is with men. And he will dwell with them. I'm kind of glad I've got a temporary dwelling. There's something that's much more exciting ahead. <laughs> and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. It's not just about us and this time in the church of God. Brethren, it's about mankind. It's about our families and our ancestors. It's about our children and children's children that lie ahead. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Think about that. All things. You look in the heavens, God says it will be new. It will be different. The earth we live in, even in his spiritual realm, all things. You question, what does that mean? Look in Hebrews chapter 2, how Paul understood all things. When it says that God gave us dominion. And he makes it very plain. When God says all, in these cases, he means all. And I know, there's no way I can explain that to you in a sense of what does that mean and what lies ahead. I'm just telling you there's a huge picture that God has in store. It's something, as we read in the book of Acts, known from God from eternity. That he has a plan. We do read in the Bible, it says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. You put that in context of your presence. You put that in context of what you do and rejoice before God. I hope it enriches your feast and it helps you to realize there's a tremendous purpose God's called us to be a part of. I'd like to conclude with a passage in the very end of Revelation that makes us realize we're a part of it right beside our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to be a part of his team because the Bible speaks of the bride of Christ. Those are the first resurrection who they are the bride of Christ. And when it speaks of salvation and man and all who seek God's kingdom, we read in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. These are things understood by God's people. These are things that were understood by Paul and the apostles and are understood by the people of God. Maybe not in some details that we may have today, but I think they did understand far more than perhaps we might tend to think. Because I don't think God is, it is just not revealed to them. As they studied and even we know some of them memorized the Bible, they could read it and, and they didn't have access to the book. So they spent time memorizing so they would not forget his words and it was a very part of their mind. Does I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches? 
I am the root and the offspring of David. God does not lose his identity. New heavens and new earth, it's a part now of the family. And please note that. You'll see the same thing in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, that Jesus Christ is the root of David, the lion of the house of Judah. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, note that, the spirit and the bride, the kings and priests, the bride of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take freely of the water, or take of the Take the water of life freely. We have a part. And when you look at the big picture and you think about why we're here now, I hope, brethren, it inspires you. And I hope it makes you to kind of stretch your mind and go back over and read again in the Bible. I didn't speculate to you. I'm not going to. I've had people speculate, and sometimes speculation waters down what we read. I've learned that in my life. It's just better to read it. There's nothing more powerful and there's nothing more certain than the very words of God our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I hope you'll read these words and go back over them. There are few I did not read, but it's very plain that what we're doing and what we're a part of is not man alone. It's about all of God's creation. And it's about a future that's going to touch everything. Because all things, everything, will be new. I hope that lifts and inspires you, not only during the feast, but as you go forward.